0: Welcome to another episode of the Water Women Podcast, the podcast all things ocean. I'm your host, Jill. Hey, and welcome back to another episode of the Water Women Podcast. Thank you for coming back for another episode, coming to hang out and learn something new, hopefully today. And I can almost guarantee that today you're going to be learning something new because we have such a cool, interesting guest on today. Today's guest is Dr. Jessie Sanders, and she's a fish vet, and not just like a fish aquarium vet, like a fish tank at home vet for your own fish. Isn't that so cool? I didn't even know that those existed, which is why I was so excited to find Dr. Sanders and reached out to her and was like, hey, please tell me more. So I'm so excited for you guys to learn more about this super awesome profession. So let's jump in. So welcome to the Water Women podcast. I'll get you to start
1: out by introducing yourself with your full name and what pronouns you use. Uh, So hello, my name is Dr. Jessie Sanders and I guess the pronouns that I'm using are she and her.
0: Perfect. So, welcome onto the podcast, Dr. Sanders. I would love for you to explain to us a little bit about what you do because it is so cool and so incredibly unique.
1: Uh, sure. Yes, absolutely. So, I am the owner and chief veterinarian of Aquatic Veterinary Services. We are a very unique mobile veterinary practice that services private pet fish owners. So, you know, like you would take your cat or your dog to your veterinarian for their checkup, their shots and everything like that. Essentially what I do is everything the same, except I go to a client's house, either their aquarium or their pond and take care of their fish at their home.
0: That is so cool. So like you are a vet for pet fish, which I have never actually heard of, which is so cool.
1: Yes, there are not many of us. Um, Currently, the American Association of Fish Veterinarians is only about 170 members um, nationwide. And those veterinarians seeing pet fish, most of them are do it, you know, kind of part-time mixed in with small animal and exotics clinic. Um, There are only two all aquatic pet fish practices in the country. So we are one of them. And then my colleague, Dr. Sharon Tiberio is out of Texas. And we're the two practices that are solely dedicated to pet fish in the United States right now.
0: Wow. That is huge. That is, that's huge to have something like that. Cause like people would be like, so who can I call if my fish is sick? And we're like, we can kind of help you a little bit, but like none of us are vets and you can't just take your fish tank to a vet so that is so cool that now there's starting to be that niche practice where like you can have a vet that comes to you or that you can go see about your aquatic pets
1: Yes, and we're 100% mobile. We used to have a a brick and mortar practice, but a lot of the fish that I deal with are a little big. So if you're familiar with koi at all, um, basically they're really big goldfish that live outside. And these guys can top out at a foot or two. So trying to get these guys to the vet is just not practical. (laughs) It's not easy. Yeah, they, they don't do well with capture and handling as it is. So... The less we can do of that and, you know, having everything being done at the client's home is a lot less stressful to the fish and they have better outcomes just because they don't have to be, you know, schlepped here and there on the freeway and in a bag and all sorts of other (laughs) fun things. Got
0: a little easier on them for sure. So when you're going on a call, say you were going to a koi fish, what kind of things are you doing? Like, what are you looking for and how are you doing it? Because kois, for example, usually are in these like big ponds or at least really big tanks so how do you kind of deal with that how do you get the fish and how do you look at it and what are you looking for
1: yeah so i mean a lot of the same veterinary principles that you apply to small animal large animals you'll apply to fish so first thing when we get there is we're talking to the owner trying to get a history of what's been going on what they've been seeing what they've been doing what they've attempted so far and during that time i'll kind of watch the fish And see how they're behaving. Because a lot of, you know, telling if a fish is sick is their behavior. So Mm -hmm. that's also complicated by the fact that fish are ectotherms. So their body temperature and their activity level is gonna be kind of mandated by their water temperature. So a pond at 70 degrees is gonna act very differently than a pond at 50 degrees. Yeah. So knowing those normals just goes a huge way in kind of starting where we look at different problems. And then as part of every exam, what we'll do is water quality assessment. So just like the air we breathe, the water a fish swims in is directly linked to their overall health. So with any situation, you know, it's kind of like taking your temperature pulse and respiration on any of your pets, you know, has your pet been vomiting, any diarrhea, really that's all translated into fish water chemistry. So we always start with the nitrogen cycle, your ammonia, nitrite, nitrate, your pH, KH, uh, alkalinity, GH, total hardness. In this area of California, everything I touch is hard. So I've kind of yep. stopped testing that for the most part. And then temperature, we can do salinity and oxygen if we need to. But once we have Whoa. those parameters, it starts you know, dictating how we're gonna approach a fish. And yes, unlike, you know, small animal, large animal, like giving you the pet, here you go, it's on the table. I have to go get that one fish out of say a pond of 30 or 50 fish, that is actually sick. And thankfully it's one of those skills that I have built a very, very secure regimen and I am really, really good at catching fish. I have a 17,000 gallon pond that with wow. one net I am able to get you know these behemoth fish out and it it's like any other skill it just comes down to practice so you have a bunch of nets at your disposal I use seine nets herding nets sock nets um, use them all together and just try to make it as quick and efficient for the fish get them out and then depending on how big they are usually most fish as long as they're you know around two feet or less. I will put in a sedation tub with an aquatic sedative. So there's a powder oh, cool. that we have in fish medicine. There's there's a couple different products you can use, but I use MS222 also known as tricane or finquel. It's been used in fish medicine and farming for decades. It's very safe, very reversible, and I don't use a lot, just enough to make the fish less stressed so obviously I can ma- manipulate them, turn them upside down, you know, check their overall body And then once we've done that, we can do our general diagnostics, doing skin uh, scrapes, looking at the mucus, looking for any parasites and gill biopsies. So these are really important at telling us, you know, a little bit more of the back history. Has there been any water quality events recently that has damaged the gill tissue? Are they getting enough nutrition? And then if we need to do advanced diagnostics, we can do ultrasounds on fish, which is great for evaluating soft tissue structures, such as intestines and gonads, and even uh, radiographs, which is great for looking at spines and swim bladders. And every single fancy goldfish that I get to see now is going to automatically get those because they just have so many buoyancy disorders. Yeah. And they're cute. They're like those purebred dogs that just are not structurally sound. So yeah. Yeah, They're uh, they're interesting ones. They're stinking cute. I mean, who doesn't like anything with a round belly and giant eyeballs that barely swim? Um, But yeah, so those are pretty much what we use. And then, you know, taking all the water chemistry and the the fish physical exams, depending on, you know, what I find on one fish, I usually pull at least one more fish to confirm my findings. Or I might find one and, you know, it's a rampant parasite infection. All the other fish are clamped down, stressed out at the bottom. We're not going to touch anybody else. Let's just get them cleaned up and and fixed so we'll either give them some medications then and there or we can plan on you know how are we going to address this with the owner say if the fish needs surgery or anything like that
0: fish surgery that's that's a thing
1: yes absolutely yes you can do surgery on a fish same as you would cat dog horse sheep goat chameleon all that good stuff
0: what would warrant a fish surgery like what would it be that you were looking at that would, was like, okay, hey, this is something that we need to fix surgically.
1: Yeah, so there's a couple different things. I mean, certainly some external things like your fish, we'll go back to those fancy goldfish. If you've got a giant eyeball and you run into something and now your eyeball is damaged and ruptured, sometimes koi being outside, they are more prone to different types of tumors on their eyes. And with that, what we can do is an enucleation is basically remove the eye from the fish. Um, Don't like to do it a lot in the fancies, just because they tend to have a lot of pressure on that optic nerve, which is directly connected to their brain. So usually the koi are a little bit more stable. And if anyone's interested, we have a bunch of surgeries up on our YouTube page. Cool. Um, And we use the same drug that I use for just general exams, and you know a little bit higher dose, and they'll be pretty much out, not moving, still breathing, but you know they're not gonna feel me poking on their eyeball and once that's out i mean the fish obviously they don't have eyelids so there's nothing that you can really close but as long as the water chemistry is good they heal up beautifully with only one so eye cool. and one fish unfortunately had tumors on both eyes so we took them both out and he did just fine they no way. can you know usually there's a little buddy fish that they follow around we call them that they're seeing eye fish And yeah, the owners, you know, they'll have their routine of, okay, food comes at this time. So we go to the surface and they can smell the food. They know where it lands. So any fish that has one eye or even no eyes has usually a great quality of life. And then for some of the internal tumors, so koi in particular are prone to gonadal sarcomas. So essentially this is a reproductive disorder that is very oftenly confused with what's known as egg binding, which... really isn't a thing in fish, but mostly these are reproductive disorders that if caught early enough, we can, essentially it's like an open abdominal surgery in your cat or your dog, except in fish, they only have one cavity known as a salomic cavity. So we'll open them up and take the tumors out again, provided we catch it early enough. And unfortunately for most of these, we do not catch them early enough. Um, I had one koi this week that was probably the worst case I've ever seen and this fish was swimming around and eating and its entire salomic cavity except maybe a tiny little sprig of intestine was just full of fluid and tumors Wow! so it's really hard for these to be caught early enough to really warrant surgery but yeah. but yes yeah, so we can absolutely if we're able to catch them early which is why we try to screen those big fat girl fish, you know, yeah. coming into springtime, we wanted to like, let's just make sure that those are eggs and yeah. not something else. But it's been giving me, you know, a lot of practice and looking at normal is still learning and, you know, being able to provide these, these donors with some more information about, yes, you might think this is a girl, but it might just be a big fat boy. <laughs> so yes, I absolutely. You can do surgery on fish just as easily as a cat or dog, just take some cool. different anesthetic approaches.
0: That is so cool. And I mean, it totally makes sense that you would be able to and that like you should in certain like not that you should just go perform surgery on a fish unwarranted, but like if it needs it, like you can, you can do it. Oh, absolutely. What should people be looking out for in their fish? Like the only thing that I really know super like have a little bit of knowledge on at least is like, um, or like fish lice. Like that. So like looking for those little parasites. What else should people be looking for in their fish to know whether or not they should call a vet of some sort?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we kind of break these down into two different categories. One is the physical signs of disease and the other is the behavioral signs. So physical signs, like you said, you're looking for macroscopic parasites, missing scales, certainly any bruising. So these are raised patches. Sometimes it looks like a little kind of cluster of scales have kind of elevated up off the skin. Um, this and missing scales and obviously if you see that flashing but that's more a behavioral issue but those can all be signs of parasites and that tends to be one of the most common issues with many pet fish and then obviously if you have you know changes in color patches of dead skin that's growing algae or fungus or your fish is maybe looking the wrong way missing some fins these are all you know physical signs of disease and these are the ones most owners are very able to to grasp yeah. hold of. Uh, the behavioral signs of disease uh, take a little bit more practice and really it just comes down to watching your fish every day. So uh, most fish, you know, are be swimming around, eating when they're hungry. When you come over to the tank, they'll probably swim up to you and say hello and be like, give me my food right now, human, because I'm really hungry. So Not all fish are going to act like that. Some fish don't care about humans. They don't care if it's feeding time. They don't want anything to do with, you know, that cute little decor item that you put in there that you think is awesome and they're just not into it whatsoever. And that might be normal for your fish that is not normal for that species. But you just have to be able to watch them every day and make sure that, you know, this fish is behaving the way it always does. And then if you say have a big koi pond, these are very communal fish. So all the fish usually school together. They like to hang out during feeding time. It's pretty much a giant free for all. And (laughs) if you have one fish that, you know, maybe isn't the fastest to the food, they're kind of isolating themselves in a corner of the pond. Obviously, if they're sitting at the bottom and not wanting to swim, those are more the physical signs of disease that a fish maybe isn't doing well. And, you know, all fish have bad days just like we do. So if it's like one or two days that they are off and then they go back to normal behavior, I wouldn't wouldn't really worry about it too much. But if it persists or you have multiple fish that are showing issues, that's really the time that you should know something is wrong. You can obviously start by just testing your water chemistry. That's something that mm-hmm. any owner can do without having to contact a veterinarian. And probably about 90% of the time, that's what's causing yeah. you know your fish to have issues because water quality just being off is going to cause conic stress, causing a drop in immune function and allowing all these lovely parasites and bacteria to have fun on your fish's body where, you know, causing the problems with the signs of the disease will start to occur.
0: Yeah, that is so cool. Cause I feel like a lot of people like that have pet fish will be like, Oh, my fish was a little lethargic today. Should I do anything about it? And like long-term, yes, if it's continuously doing this, but like, if it's just a day where they're just having an off day, it's totally okay to leave it or I'll test your water if you're worried about it, which I feel underrated. Testing your water in your aquarium, the fact that people don't do it like weekly, just it solves everything. If you just do it yes. often enough, you can learn so much about it.
1: Yes, I know a lot of people are a little, you know, hesitant to deal with a lot of the chemistry side of things. Yeah. Um, And, and using the, the test strips that they put on the shelf. Yes, they're very easy, but unfortunately they're not very consistent. Um, yeah. So if you're able to use a liquid-based test kit, and again, I know looking at those colors sometimes is hard, but you just got to get in the habit of using it, and it's really one of the best diagnostic tools that any fish owner can have. And, you know, those tests sell for $20, 30 and you can probably solve most of your problems without having to have a vet come out when it's too yeah. late to do <laughs> so check your water absolutely number one. nice to
0: know for people in those areas that don't have uh fish vet like you around it's just gonna make it easier
1: yes sure
0: so do you we've talked a lot about koi and goldfish do you service like all kinds of fish like if someone called with a beta with some like platys gouramis all that kind of stuff are you looking at all of those as well
1: Oh, yes. Pretty much if it swims, we will see it. Um, cool. Usually in the winter when the koi kind of take a little nap, go into a little bit of a tuper, Uh We see a lot of indoor fish tanks, including a lot of beta fish. Yes. And I can imagine. unfortunately, the most common thing we see with beta fish is they have those giant tummies and they are lethargic, which yes. can be caused by many, many different things. Um, so hopefully we're going to start some, um, GI studies using some, um, radio opaque pigments so we can do radiographs on these guys and try to figure out if it's actually a GI blockage, if it's a tumor, if it's a bacteria. There's just so many different things that can happen with those little guys. And unfortunately, a lot of them don't get a great start in life. Yeah. So, I mean, even before the owners bring them home, they usually have a bunch of problems that just aren't going to present themselves until the very end. Um, yeah. Yeah. We'll see all sorts of fish. We had uh, an arowana yesterday, if you're familiar with those. Yeah, cool. uh, Unfortunately, had run into the top of his tank on oh. multiple times and had fractured his mandible. So it was oh, the wow. right side of his mandible was actually sticking out at a 90 degree angle and had talked over options with the owner as far as trying to repair this. Um, it would not have been an easy fix just given the overall nature of this fish. They're very flighty, they're very aggressive, they're very active and trying yeah. to keep this fish calm, possibly having to wire the jaw shut um, was yeah, just not, not gonna be a feasible option. So unfortunately he he was euthanized, but we do try to help you know pretty much any owner, any fish, if it's legal, if it's illegal, I just wanna make sure that they are in the best of care. We've had, okay. yep, we've had piranhas, we've had guppies, cool. we've had sharks, uh, rays, all sorts of random saltwater fish that I might only see once in my career. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, but, I mean, fish for the most part have all the same parts and yeah, we're, we're more well-equipped to see them than most veterinarians.
0: Absolutely, that is really cool that you're kind of servicing all of them and like seeing so many different kinds of fish for like a variety of reasons. It must never get boring.
1: No, it definitely doesn't. But again, the the koi and goldfish make up about ninety five percent of our client base. The betas mm. are probably that last four percent, and then one percent is everything else. Though so, a lot that. of koi, a lot of goldfish, which which is fine. They're they're a very very common pet species, and yeah. a lot of a lot of my job is just yes, your koi can get that big. Yes, your goldfish can get that big. <laughs> Don't feed that to your goldfish. Don't feed that to your koi. This is your maintenance that you have to do on a regular basis.
0: I love that. I feel like fish tanks come with, and like even fish ponds, fish like aquariums come with a lot of not hidden, but just like sometimes unexpected maintenance. Like I had someone come in one day and was like, my tank's a little dirty. I was like, oh, have you cleaned it? And he's like, I have to clean my tank. And I was like, weekly, yes. <laughs>
1: Yes. Um, Fish are, you know, kind of touted as the maintenance-free pets, which they are (laughs) not at all. They take just as much work as a cat or a dog. And, you know, it's the cleaning of the tank. It's making sure you clean up their poop, keep their filters clean, and give them lots of room to swim. Really, that's, you know, the biggest issue with, with most people entering this hobby is, they just don't understand the basics of water chemistry and yeah. what goes into your fish is gonna come out the other end and you have to be prepared <laughs> for that and you know just the first cycle through your tank is where about half the people leave this hobby because their tank will be full it will crash and then they give up
0: yeah so if you had any advice for like first-time fish parents or people considering going into this hobby what would it be like what to look for kind of what should you start out with kind of thing I know it varies based on like your fish and everything but just overall advice kind of thing
1: my best advice is whatever tank you are planning on getting make it bigger and cut your amount of fish in half so really the easiest thing you could do is just give yourself a giant buffer For when your tank is first cycling, you know, you're going to have an ammonia spike that's expected. But obviously, if you have a tiny tank that's packed with fish, it's going to have a much bigger impact than a giant tank with not that many fish. So that is really my best advice to people entering this hobby is to please, please plan ahead. Your little tiny goldfish might start out cute and tiny. It's going to need at least 20 gallons per fish. I've had one goldfish in a hundred gallons by himself. so if you want to start small you know those cute little tropicals just fine you can start with them and kind of work your way up if you want something a little bit fancier but lots of water half the fish it's the best advice I can give (laughs) most people if they're looking to get into this
0: I love that advice because it always fish always need more space than you think they're going to like you'll see like a little fish like this and you're like oh like I realize that there's no, like people won't be able to see that on this, but um, like a two inch fish and you're like, oh, it doesn't need anything. It can go in a bowl. And it's like, no, they need a little bit more water than that. A little bit more filtration, little, they, I feel like it always comes with this unexpected kind of like they need more than they look like they need.
1: Yeah. And certainly if, you know, you have that extra buffer and you accidentally miss a water change, you miss your maintenance. That way you're just the fish aren't relying on you to be consistent in order to survive. It gives you that extra little buffer just in case, you know, life happens. You can't get to the fish tank that day. They're not gonna die because you didn't do your water change.
0: Yeah, exactly, I love that. Alright folks, so it is springtime and I don't know about you, but when spring hits around here and the sun starts shining and it starts getting a little warm out, I am in the mood to clean. Now, I've always been one to just go buy my cleaning supplies at the store, grabbing like when I grab groceries or something, and I tend to grab whatever is the cheapest that will do the job. But it's always weighed heavily on my mind like, man, this is so much single-use plastic. Come on, like do better but there's never any great alternatives. So, when I was scrolling on TikTok one day and I saw Isavibe Shop, I was so excited. With Isavibe, you get to save on plastic and money. These cleaning products are plastic-free, affordable, and so easy to use. They come in these little tablets that you drop into some water. I used an old Windex bottle that I was going to throw out, but it got a second chance at life. You drop it in, you shake it up and let it dissolve a little bit and boom, cleaning product. You can get a glass cleaner, a foaming hand soap, a bathroom cleaner, and an all-purpose cleaner. A pack of three of one of these costs $9 and the starter kit that contains all four cleaners is available for just $12. And. As if that already isn't amazing, Water Women listeners get to save 20% on their purchases when they use the code WATERWOMEN. You can check out Isavibe at Issa Vibe Shop, that's I-S-A-V-I-B-E shop.com. And don't forget to use code WATERWOMEN when you purchase some products for 20% off. Now, I think what you do is absolutely incredible. And I'm very interested to know how it kind of came onto your radar. Like, did you grow up near the water knowing that you were like, I want to be a fish doctor when I'm older? Or did you find it later on? Like, how did you decide this is the path you would take?
1: Yes. So I was one of those really annoying kids that always knew I wanted to be a veterinarian, even (laughs) since I was a little tiny kid. I knew that that's what i wanted to be and Mm -hmm. i had absolutely no idea that fish veterinarians existed and they probably didn't back in the (laughs) let's see this is the late 80s so (laughs) when i was an undergraduate student um, i was actually attending the university of rhode island i was a marine biology major i had a great opportunity to do volunteer work at mystic aquarium and I'm a little ashamed to admit that I was one of those kids like, Oh, I want to work with marine mammals. They're so awesome. Fish are dumb. I feel like like we all start out that way. Like we all are kind of like
0: mammals, mammals. Like they're just so charismatic that you just are like, Oh yes. Perfect.
1: Yes. They're big babies. But anyway, so I applied to be on the beluga team, but obviously there's a huge wait list to the like, you know, why don't you go do fish and inverts? And when there's a spot opening, like we'll move you up and when I began working with fish and invertebrates it was the coolest thing ever I mean I was I was again that annoying kid that arrived right in the middle of lunch when the staff was like what are we supposed to do with this person so they stuck me in the back cleaning the backup octopus tank and you know it's one of those things you're in the back it's really hard to screw this up like just go do that and we'll give you more stuff when we're done but it was just the coolest job ever the people that I was working with were so open about what they did and the fish that they have are fascinating I mean they get access to thousands of different species and all these different tanks and environments and I just wanted to learn more so they kind of you know up in the quarantine section where they have the new fish and the sick fish learning a little bit more and then the veterinary staff comes in and I'm just like interesting an aquarium veterinarian All right, then so started looking at that potential path and I'd kind of gotten off the vet school path for a little while when I was um, an undergraduate student, I had shadowed at our local cat and dog clinic and I had seen a surgery where I started to feel faint at the sight of blood but it actually turned out to be something completely unrelated to the blood. Um, so I didn't know that at the time, but it kind of put me back on the path to veterinary school. So decided to apply for vet school thinking I would end up being an aquarium veterinarian. And then, so I applied to six schools. I was waitlisted at one at Tufts. And I think the only reason they decided to let me in is because I was the one weird fish kid, because diversity is your friend. Sometimes (laughs) like we need need something to mix up this class of, you know, the standard biology, small animal science majors. It's like, let's just let that weird fish kid in. We'll see what happens. So. Yeah, I I and I bombed my interview at veterinary school. So I'm pretty oh. sure that was my one my one saving grace that got me actually into veterinary school. So yeah. So in veterinary school, um, again, I went to Tufts University in Massachusetts, and this is not Tufts in Boston. This is Tufts out in Worcester in a converted mental institution. Oh, so, interesting. I went to Tufts. No, I did not go to the Tufts in Boston. I went to the Tufts in Worcester. So During my four years at Tufts, we had two hours on fish. So in four years, Whoa. two hours, that's it. We had one lab, which looking back, they really didn't know quite how to euthanize those fish because uh, one kind of woke up while we were doing our discussion of this is how you necropsy a fish. And then the fish, you know, flinches at the scalpel. I remember somebody screamed. At all. Yeah, somebody screamed and ran out of the room, but I'm oh just looking God. back and it's like, okay, this is why we use a secondary method to clove oil and MS-222 now. Yes. Uh, so... When I was in veterinary school, I really didn't have any opportunity to learn aquatics. So what I did is I ended up doing some summer programs. So really the cornerstone of any aquatic vet education is called Aquavet. It's a four week program uh, out of Cornell. Um, I'm not sure if Penn's still associated, it used to be a joint program, but it's four weeks, super intense. You start with invertebrates, you know, clams and corals, work up through crustaceans, fish, and end with marine mammals. It is- a fantastic course. I actually go back and teach it now, which is a little surreal.
0: That that is so cool.
1: But, you know, it's all my friends now that teach it, but I got to meet them as a student and kind of talk to them about what they did. And there was this wonderful veterinarian who taught our surgery uh, portion. Basically we did um, spays and neuters on fish, (laughs) which (laughs) as weird as it sounds, that's just how we practice with surgery. Um, So Dr. Helen Sweeney, was a small animal, exotics, and fish veterinarian that owned a, a private practice up in Buffalo, New York. So if she can make it work in Buffalo, New York, you can sit there and most vets can make it work elsewhere. Yeah. And when I was going through my extern time at Tufts, so in any veterinary education, you have your core rotations that you have to be on campus for. But then they're like, go out, learn something else, like leave the campus. We want you to go do something else. And in addition to, you know, going back to Mystic as a vet student, I got to go to SeaWorld, come out to the Marine Mammal Center. Um, I got to go work with Dr. Sweeney up in her practice in Buffalo. And it was the coolest. It was the most worthwhile two weeks of my veterinary career, because in vet school, you really aren't exposed to a lot of private practice. It's all super intensive in the specialty hospital. And working with Helen is just, she's just the most awesome human being to begin with. But the way she ran her practice, the way she worked with her clients and her staff, just turned my brain onto this, this is what I want. This is where I want to be as a veterinarian. So graduated from Tufts, moved out to California, and started to look around at small animal jobs where I can kind of add on aquatics. Cause you know, who doesn't like adding more variety to their yeah. clientele? Well, Absolutely. six months later, a couple failed interviews and one very sad job offer. Uh, looking around at where I was in California, we have six koi clubs in California. At the time we had five koi dealers importing from Japan. Wow. And six koi shows including pond tours every year so we have a ton of koi in california (laughs) and it really just kind of after dealing you know with just the disappointment of trying to find a job it's just like i'm just gonna go out and start this and see what happens um it's one of the few things in my life i've ever done with like no backup plan like we're just going to go do this and we're going to figure it out and we're going to make it work Uh, a little bit of trial by fire which is not for everyone but in my case it worked out really well and we're coming up on our eight-year anniversary in a little under a month and we are you know the most successful all pet fish practice in the country right now
0: that is So. so exciting and incredibly impressive and I love that for you
1: Yeah, so not, not a very traditional (laughs) to aquatics. Um, So I mean, there are, you know, you could do the internship, you could do the residency in aquatics, there's three of them in the country. So it's a very competitive field, usually sit for your zoo boards, but that's really where they're taking positions for aquariums and zoos right now, is you have to go kind of down that boarded route, which was just not going to be for me. I am very happy where I am in private yeah. practice. I love the freedom and flexibility of being able to work directly with clients and, you know, not having a board of directors or supervisors kind of dictating what you can and cannot do. Can't do.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that no, totally makes sense. And I really like that you kind of jumped into it without a backup plan because I genuinely think the best things happen when you don't have a backup plan because it's like either this works or I'm figuring out something else. Like you, it's, yeah. The pedal to the metal, you're figuring it out kind of thing.
1: Yes, and I have obviously stumbled several, <laughs> several times because there's really, I mean, I took, Helen was great at giving me like, this is the list of equipment that you need, <laughs> and that was pretty much where we started. So a lot of our business right now is focused on marketing because, as you said, not many people are aware that aquatic veterinarians even exist.
0: Yeah.
1: So most of what my time is spent on is just putting out feelers you know mailing people who have bought houses with ponds recently letting other veterinary practices know maintenance companies um, trying to put good content on the internet so that is actually relevant and truthful yeah. and <laughs> has well, some research is, behind
0: it <laughs> you mentioned that you posted the surgeries on youtube and that is so cool that is such a fantastic idea because there's going to be people like People that are interested in becoming an aquatic vet or that are like oh can you do fish surgery like just random google searches are going to come across that and you never know who you're going to influence with that or who you're going to catch
1: yes yep okay. again I'm, I'm all for sharing we let owners watch everything that we do you know in the time of covid you got to be six feet away and wearing a mask but since i'm outside most of the time. And unfortunately, we're not able to enter people's homes at this time, but they can at least bring the fish out and they can be with me while they're watching their fish get a physical exam. And a lot of people like to take pictures and videos. And we're certainly open with, you know, anyone who just wants to learn more about how to better take care of their fish.
0: That is awesome. Now, I do have some questions about your school because you mentioned that you were in marine biology. So You knew that you wanted to be a vet. So where did this marine biology thing come from? Like what made you want to start your undergrad in marine biology? Did you just really like fish or what was up there?
1: Yes. So I knew I was probably going to be a biology major and, you know, that's cool and all, but that's not what I, you know, biology is a very general topic. And when I was a little kid, Mystic Aquarium was one of the things my parents could bribe me with to behave on birthdays on Christmas like I just want to go to the aquarium like I want to go to the beach I want to be in the water I was a big swimmer did competitive swimming for a while but I have always loved the ocean and you know I grew up in Connecticut so the ocean on Long Island Sound really isn't true ocean I didn't get to go you know the Rhode Island beaches until I was about 12 it's like oh this is what the ocean actually looks like there's There's waves and sand yeah but Mystic Aquarium has been a big part of my life ever since I was even a little kid and I remember when it was just one cinder block building and they had like these little kitschy demos on the little tv touch screens (laughs) and it was so awesome to go back there after they they they've gone through many many um renovations in my my lifetime since I've been going there and seeing that as a perspective you know as someone when I'm a kid and I'm just kind of getting used to things and then going back as an undergraduate student and then a veterinary student and unfortunately I haven't had a chance to get back in the last several years and you know we have the Monterey Bay Aquarium out here which is a great you know contrast yeah. because they have all of the Pacific Coast things which Mystic does not have access to no, so it's just East Coast, yeah. yeah so it's just such a great kind of polar opposite approach to what you can see in aquariums and yes I've always loved the ocean marine biology was a great choice for me because again it kind of puts you on that this is a little bit different than the regular biology program and I got to do um I put together a senior honors thesis with uh, mystic aquarium and uh, URI looking at the caloric value of sea monkey hatch brine so It's a paper that's still heavily downloaded, just because I don't think anyone's ever looked at it. So any college students that are listening and want to put together an awesome project, I will give you the same advice that my advisor gave me, is do something with numbers. Do something with graphs and charts, because anyone anywhere in the world can understand graphs and charts.
0: That is fantastic advice right there. That is really underutilized advice, I think.
1: That was the best mm-hmm. advice my, my thesis advisor gave me is do something with graphs that you well, can chart yeah. with actual numbers. So, you know, doing protein, fat, caloric value of, of little baby sea monkeys just to paste on how much of that egg sac is left um, obviously is very applicable to a lot of people who are going to be feeding, you know, those micro feeds to new fish, to invertebrates, to corals, all that good stuff.
0: Yeah. Uh, If I remember correctly, when I was reading up on you, you were also doing a double major, like you were starting out in computer science and marine biology. And after you kind of got introduced to the aquatic vet, you kind of dropped that. But that's so cool that that was your original, like, and I'm sure it's helped you since then, like that you started out with that double major and then kind of found the vet medicine again. I think that's so cool.
1: Yeah, so my my dad actually came from a programming background, and I always just kind of was curious about it and wanted to know more. And being being at URI, I had a lot of opportunities to take a very diverse schedule and, you know, was able to overload my credits a little bit to be able to support that double major. And again, like I had said, I left kind of the veterinary side of things and had been reintroduced to it. Uh, I want to say it was probably around my junior year of college. So, you know, coming up on the end, you got to look at those vet school applications like, all right, I need to take these prerequisites in the next semester. So, unfortunately, the the double major was dropped to a major and a minor. Well, two minors, but that other minor. So the, minor, the second minor was just general business. And that was just, again, one of those things is just like, hmm, I'm curious about, you know, just general accounting and marketing yeah. and all that good stuff. And those, those skills have been phenomenal. Ooh, I've gotten yeah. a lot of those than I ever thought I would. And again, it's just that opportunity you're in college and you have all these different wonderful classes and they let you take anything you want. It doesn't have to be in your major. You have so, total freedom. Yeah, it was, there were lots of spreadsheets involved but I made it work.
0: So this kind of goes along with this but if there was a little girl listening who wanted to do what you do now What would be your advice to her to pursue this? Would you say, yeah, take those, um, take those business classes or no, or like, what would be your advice for her?
1: My advice for her is don't let anyone, don't listen to anyone who says you can't do what you want. Because that's, I mean, when I was in veterinary school and I, I told people I wanted to be a fish veterinarian, I got laughed at by clinicians, by residents, by interns. They're like, you can't do that. That's not a real thing. You're never gonna make any money. You're never gonna have a career in that. So that's where I really relied on the support from all those wonderful teachers that I got to talk to in Aquavet. It's like, look, there. I mean, it's a small group. I'm not gonna lie. It's a very niche. But oh, the yeah. best thing about that is you know everyone. Like these idols who I had when I was in veterinary school, I can text them, I can email them, I can call them whenever I want. One of the the greats in in aquatic invertebrates, I was just texting him this morning, it's like, how do you handle these crazy people during this time of COVID? Like, it's one of those people, like, he's been been doing this for decades, and I'm barely into my first, and I'm like, I don't know if I can do this forever. (laughs) Like, how have you had a successful career in aquatics that you just make it last? Because again, we're getting to that point even in fish you can get burned out on it but you know if i was telling little girl Jessie that you know if you want to be a fish veterinarian go be a fish veterinarian if you want to be a computer programmer go do it and if someone tells you you can't just go do it anyway
0: like i love that advice do it anyways that is my favorite advice Yep. And Love then you can call
1: it. up that resident that laughed to you and be like, remember me? Yeah, you don't get to be as cool as me because you didn't think this was awesome.
0: That is my favorite thing. I I feel like people don't realize how much their like negativity can stick to you when they say you can't do that. You're like, well, now I'm going to out of sight, yeah. but I'm never yeah. gonna forget that you said that.
1: Yeah. I mean, it, you, I had the same thing too, and they when you know, you gotta you take it you take in that comment. And it kind of has to sit around for yeah. for a little while and you have to be able to process it and then you gotta, you have to step back from it a little bit and be like no no i'm just gonna go do this anyway you have no idea what you're talking about like yeah. i'm just gonna go do this and i'll see you on the other side
0: you'll take it personally at first but then you have to yes. just be like who cares like what does this person why does why do they get to say in my life they don't i get to decide what i'm doing Exactly. Dr. Sanders, thank you for joining me on the podcast today. It was super awesome to have you on and to learn all about being a fish vet, which is so cool. And I can definitely see that this is going to inspire some future, some future fish doctors in the world.
1: Yes. Well, thank you so much for reaching out. I absolutely love this conversation. It was so nice to meet you. And I, I hope a lot of people get, you know, some, some interest in some new ideas out of this podcast.
0: Absolutely. Now just one more thing before you go. Is there anywhere people can find you on any social medias to connect or to follow along with you? Anything like that?
1: Yes, yeah, so let's see. Our Facebook and Twitter is at Fish Vet and our Instagram and YouTube channels, including all those surgery videos, is at Dr Just D R Jesse with an I Sanders with no U.
0: Perfect. That will be linked to all around our, in our description and everything like that. And thank you again for joining me today. It was fantastic to have you on.
1: Yes. Thank you. It was so nice to meet you as well. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of the Water Women podcast. I love sharing these stories with you and I love that you love to listen. Make sure if you like the podcast, you're leaving a review and liking and subscribing to the podcast. It really helps us out. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Waterwomen Podcast, and on Twitter at Waterwomen Pod. You can also check out more from us, including quizzes, blog posts, and shop our site at WaterwomenPodcast.ca. Thanks again for listening, and until next week, stay salty.